things that are not seen in our life. And so when we understand how that faith applies to our life and how that faith is, uh, is to work in our lives, we understand that it is the very substance. A definition of the word substance there um, is the, uh, let me find it here in my notes, is the idea that uh, it's what is a, the essential part. Substance is the essential part. So faith is the essential part of your hope. Whatever your hope is in your life, where you hope to get to, where you where you dream about getting to, you know, get out of the problems that you're in, things to be able to change around you. Faith is the es- essential ingredient. You know, when you make a cake, you got to have some in- essential ingredients to make that cake, right? What's the essential ingredients? You, ha- you have to have these. You can add stuff to it, but you got to have what? Betty Crocker cake mix, right? You got to have. <laughs> now you have to have flour, right? Eggs, sugar. That's last. There's one more, isn't there? You got to have milk, don't you? You got to have, yeah. So there's essential thing. If you don't have one of those ingredients, what's going to happen to the cake? It's not going to work out right. I mean, if you ever, you know, if we leave all, if we leave the sugar out, then all we got is bread, right? I mean, we don't really have, I mean, it's kind of a weird bread. So if you leave out the flour and you mix all the other ingredients, you just got a bleh. That's all it's going to be. So what we have to, what, there, faith is the essential ingredient. It is the essential ingredient of what you're hoping for. It is the evidence, according to the scriptures, it is the evidence of the things that we cannot that we cannot see. It's not apparent to us right now, but we know that it is that it is true. Moffat translation of Hebrews eleven one says, "Now faith means that we are confident of what we hope for, convinced of what we do not see." There are certain things tonight, just on a natural level, that you're convinced of. Right? You're convinced of. For example, if you have your checkbook with you tonight, you pulled it out and you looked at it, there's an amount that's on there that is that you are convinced is in your checking account. Now you don't see it, but you hold something that tells you that it is there. You get a statement every month uh, from the bank that tells you how much you have in your account at that very moment. You, you do a credit and debit situation in your checking account, and so if you do it right and you balance your checking account, you know exactly how much is in there. You have faith, right? You have faith that that is in there. When you go to use that checkbook or that debit card or whatever that you use as your means of, of currency, or of, uh, of being able to purchase things, you know you have a confident assurance that the bank is not lying to you and that that money is in there. And if you, if you went to do something, right, if you went to buy something and they said, well, I'm sorry, your debit card has been denied, how are you going to respond to that? You're going to respond with, I'm calling the bank, right? I'm calling the bank because I know I have that amount in there. Something is not right, okay? So between you and the bank, either you missed it somehow or the bank... Something's going on in the, the information from the bank that, you, that we've got wrong or they've got wrong, but we've got to get that, we've got to get that corrected. So there is a, an assurance that you have, even though you don't see your money. How many of you have money? How many of you have money? Okay. Do you see all the money that you have right now? 
Do you see it? I mean, you know, is it, do you carry it all with you? Do you have all, your whole life's amount of money, is it all in your pocket? Don't admit it if you do, okay? I don't want you to tell us. Uh, but, but, I mean, if you, you don't carry it all with you, you might have it at home in your mattress, right? Or at the bank. Or like one guy buried it in uh, coffee cans out in his yard and uh, hid it all over. I think, Chuck, didn't you, didn't you have a relative that buried money in their property? Was that you? In their workshop, yeah. So, and so when they pass away, people go out and start, we're going on a treasure hunt, right, man? We're going to find it. Woohoo! there's money out here. So you don't see it, but you're assured somehow of a system that is keeping that for you, okay? Faith, now faith, is the substance. It is the evidence that we have that what we're believing for, even though we don't see it, we believe that we have it already. It's already ours. Now, taking that to the spiritual level, we would say that heaven is the same way. We don't see heaven, but those of us who have asked Christ into our lives, we believe that because of what the system says, that if we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, we believe that we will spend our eternity in heaven. Okay, so uh, we don't see it, but we yet we believe it. So faith gives you and I the assurance that we will have the requests that we have made. It's interesting when we see that God says something, and I think you'll, as you reason this out, you'll, you'll see the, val- the, the validity of this. A disbelief, when we don't believe something God has said, it does not result in a belief in nothing. When we say to things like, if we say that, like, well, I don't believe in speaking in tongues. Well, I don't believe in healing. Well, I don't believe in miracles. Well, I don't believe in, you know, salvation. I don't believe. It doesn't, a belief in, a belief in God does not, a disbelief in something God has said does not result in a belief in nothing. Here's what happens. A disbelief in God usually results in a belief in anything. It means that when we turn against what God has said, we become susceptible to believe anything. And so, so what happens is, is that like in our, in our society today, and this is, so, this is a very prevalent thought, that people will say, well, you know, I know the Bible says that Jesus is the only way to heaven, but I don't believe that. I believe there are a lot of different ways. Well, see, that not only leads, down a, that not only leads into a pathway um, that, that is error, but it leads you continuously down a pathway of allowing those errors to become a part of your life. So now you've got Christians that they're basically mixing Buddhism with their faith. They're mixing Hinduism into their faith. They're mixing uh, all kinds of other religions. Because, see, a disbelief in God doesn't result in a belief in nothing. You don't go like, you know, no one is a true atheist because they believe something about God. I mean, if look... A great philosopher wrote about this, Descartes, and he said that the very fact that someone says they don't believe in God means they must believe there is a God. Because if there was, if they didn't, if there was no God, it wouldn't even be a question. Who cares? But because they feel there is some need to argue that there is no God, right? They're actually arguing our point that you must believe there is something because you feel like you've got to fight really hard to come against it. 
And in fact, he said in, in his verse that he uses, he says, the fool has said in his heart, this is out of the Psalms, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. What the fool has proved by saying there is no God is, is that the fool is saying there is a God. You can just think about that. I'm not trying to go too deep here tonight. Um, <laughs> Mike, said, Mike gave me this when, he, when I came in the door. Uh, Mike Humphrey's up here in the front row. He's been really digging on this about belief and faith. And he said, belief is faith on steroids. I like that. Belief is faith on steroids. See, when you believe something, that's your faith activated. That's something that's become a part of you. And the difficulty is, is that there are things that we believe that we are doing. You know, we're operating according to they're not right. And so we've, we've got to come back and work some of that out. And you start with your faith. We're, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So our faith generates out of the Word of God. And our, and our faith then generates the beliefs of our life and how we function and how we act. Okay? And here's it just as another side thought with this is that when we act contrary to what we believe, we're in a conflict. We are in conflict in our heart. We're in a major conflict. And that can usually lead that usually leads down to some pretty serious paths for us. It can be really difficult for us. Brother Hagen said, faith, believe, faith begins where the will of God is known. Where I know what God has said, then I know that that belongs to me. If you're struggling with your faith, you need to find out what God says about your situation. Dakota did such a great job this past weekend uh, talking about that and helping people to be able to find their, their place. If you guys don't know who Dakota is, that's that guy right here who never comes on Thursdays. <laughs> See, the part, of the part of the challenge with what the Scriptures teach us is you have to believe first and then you receive. There has to be a believing that takes place before there is a receiving. Now, the, one of the great evidences where we see this really at work is what happened between um, what happened with John the Baptist. And John, he made a statement, which was, or not John the Baptist, but excuse me, Thomas, uh, a statement that Thomas made in Scripture whenever they were talking about the resurrection of Christ. So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn, I was going to say turn to John. Just so you know, I am not perfect, but I'm better than you. So, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just, hey, I'm just kidding. I'm just seeing if you're big gas. Yeah. I can't believe you said that. All right. So this is, uh, this is verse 24, John chapter 20. Now, you got to kind of look at your faith here. How is, what does your faith look like in the midst of this? Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came into the room. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. And he said to them, unless I see the nail prints in his hands and put my finger in the nail prints and put my hand in his side, the last four words there, I will not believe. I will not believe. So he's telling them, look, guys, I have to receive it before I'm going to believe it. After eight days, so eight days goes by where he doesn't believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside with the door shut, and Thomas was with them. And Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And I love this because, like, you know, there's an elephant in the room, and Jesus is going after it. 
if you've never heard that statement before, you know, we can't ignore the elephant in the room. And so he's going after the elephant in the room. So he like shows up and says, hey, guys, good to see you. Peace be with you, Thomas. Let's have a talk right now. So, yeah. It's like, you know, when Sharon and I, when we, our pastor, you know, he's a, he's a prophet of God. I mean, we like, before we go to his meetings, we make sure all the sin is out of our life. Right. Well, we don't want to go to that meeting and like, he's going to be calling out something or he might even come up to us and say, what is this? The Lord said, oh my gosh, I repent. Because the Lord knows how to go after the elephant in the room, I can tell you right now. And he said to Thomas, he said, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand here and put it in my side. And don't be faithless but believing. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Now, I'm not real sure what all that means when he's saying that, okay? I don't know if that's his declaration of I'm sorry. I don't know what he's doing. Or he's just like, you know how you'll say sometimes, my God, what's going on here? But he says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas... Because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, and yet they have believed. So belief precedes receiving. Now, I wanted to read this out of the Weiss translation because this is so powerful. I mean, the way that, and what Weiss did when he wrote his translation is he kind of did what they did with the Amplified Bible, is he took different uh, parts of the translation of the Greek words and included them into pretty good uh, into pretty good sentences, so that uh, you know that we could that we could understand. So he said this in verse twenty five. Therefore, the other disciples were saying to him, uh, to Thomas, we have uh, with discernment seen the Lord, and He is still vivid to us in our mind's eye. But he said to them, Well, if I do not see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will positively not believe. I positively will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. And there comes Jesus and the doors have been shut with the result that they were tightly closed at that time and stepped into their midst and said, peace to you. And then he says to Thomas, be reaching here your finger and see my hands and reach your hand and put it into my side and call a halt to your progressive state of unbelief. See, unbelief is not stagnant just as faith is not stagnant. Unbelief is progressive. When we start down a pathway of unbelief, it begins to undermine the fabric of what we believe. And so he says, look, Call a halt to your progressive state of unbelief, but become one who is believing. And answer Thomas and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Because you've seen me and at present have me within the range of your vision, you have believed with the result that you are in the state of belief. Spiritually prosperous are those who, have, who not having seen, yet have believed. Yet have believed. So to me, this is so powerful because one is is that what Thomas was doing, obviously, for eight days, he didn't just, if it was a progressive environment, he didn't say it one time. Every time it was brought up, and they're all discussing. Have you ever been in the room with somebody like that? You know, it's like, um, you know, if if you've, like when I first discovered about the authority of the believer, okay, 
Um, I mean, I grew up in church, and we never looked at I mean, I never heard about a believer having any authority. Kind of the faith that I grew up in was is that God's up here, you're down here, you've totally screwed up, and you've got to like get him on your side, so you better make sure you go to church, you pray, you do all the right stuff, and then in the end, you get to go to heaven, okay? No one ever told us about that you have authority here on this earth. I mean, <laughs> we never even heard anything like that. I never heard a sermon like that. First book I ever read was Brother Hagen's book on uh, the authority of the believer, and he started talking about how that you you know you as a believer have been given authority by Jesus Christ, and you know that he gave that to you, not just to preachers. You know, my preacher, I kind of thought he had authority, but you know, us we we're just you know we're just sheep, bah, you know, follow you know follow the shepherd and 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 just be good sheep. I read that in my Bible, and I'm telling you, I started really growing, and I started realizing that we have authority over the devil. We have authority over sickness and disease. We have authority over poverty in our lives. We have authority. There are so many things, and we don't have authority over people. Unfortunately, God did not give that to us, okay? Even he doesn't try to take authority over people. He gives people a choice to make a decision. So he doesn't make anybody get saved. He doesn't force anybody to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. He doesn't force any of that on anyone. He gives everyone the opportunity, though, that it's available. If you, if you will believe in, you will receive. And so um, I started to find out about that. Now, I get in a room of people that, are from, that I've grown up with, been in the church with for a long time, and I start talking about healing. And more people wanted to talk about why they don't believe in healing than why they do. And they're not going to just do it one time. You know, you're in a room of people that want to talk about, well, I know this one deal. Well, how do you explain this? They always want to bring up somebody. You know, somebody that said that somebody that was believing God, um, you know, that was believing God for healing and didn't get, is still sick. Or, you know, so they want to bring up those stories. Or died even. You know, they're like, well, they, I know somebody. You better be careful what you're getting into. I mean, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, started speaking in tongues, and I thought everybody would be excited about that. And I found out there's a whole bunch of people not very excited about this whole tongues business. In a hurry. People started, uh, you know, keeping their distance. I was in a different category all of a sudden. And they'll do everything they can to tell you, well, that's all passed away. But see, where I get hard-pressed about all of this, that, first of all, Specifically, none of that has passed away. Now, none of healing has not passed because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay? So let's just set aside for a minute here, set, set it aside, all the miracles that we know about. Okay? Because uh, we all know different. T.O. Osborne's one of my great heroes in the faith. I mean, I know about all the miracles that happened in his ministry. Brother Hagen, people he prayed for that had cancer, that miraculously their lives turned around. I mean, Kenneth Copeland, Jerry Savelle, others. And, I mean, Jerry pulled people coming out of wheelchairs that couldn't walk. Um, you know, but we're going to set all those miracles aside, okay? We're going to put them all to the side, and we're just going to focus on the idea of what does, what does the Word say to you and I, all right? Because, see, you can't defend your faith with miracles, You cannot defend your faith with miracles. You can only defend your faith with the Word. You cannot, beat, you cannot beat your adversary. When the enemy comes at you, 
You cannot beat your adversary by talking about miracles. You know, uh, Dakota did such a great job with this about the lion and the bear, but that was a story that Goliath did not get to hear. He didn't like go out there and say, well, Goliath, let me tell you, when I was a kid, I killed a lion and grabbed it by the beard and I slew it. Goliath doesn't care. Well, there was a big old grizzly bear came after me, and I'm telling you, it was trying to get to my sheep, and I just went down there and I killed it with my bare hands. Goliath never got to hear, because see, the devil doesn't care about your testimony. He doesn't care about all that stuff in, that's happened. What he, well, the only thing that happens is the word. That's the only way Jesus dealt with the adversary. That's the only way you're going to be able to deal with the adversary. He said, well, Pastor, I thought we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, and we loved not our lives even unto the death. It all starts the blood of the Lamb, which is your redemptive power of salvation in your life and deliverance. Amen? Which is based solely off of the word. The testimony is the manifestation of all of that word at work in our lives as believers. Are you with me? Okay. So... We're going to set all that aside, and we're just going to stand with the Word. We're going to stand with what the Word says. Now, that's where our faith is right now. That's where our belief is, because we're not believing because we've seen, you know, seen things. I've heard, I've heard people say stuff like, I've just seen too much to not believe. Okay, well, here's the thing. You cannot, believe, you cannot base your belief on what you've seen. You can Base, you, you can declare what you have seen. In fact, John talked about this in 1 John chapter 1. He says, that which we have seen, that which we have experienced, that is what we declare to you. And there's nothing wrong with that. But your faith is based off of the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Faith is the substance of things that are hoped for. It's the evidence of things that are not seen. It's knowing what God has said. It's believing what God has said. And then we base our faith off of all that God has spoken and declared to you and I. Can I get a good amen? amen. We know that God's Word is good, but we will never really know until we have acted on it and have reaped its results. We know His Word is good, but we'll never really know how good it is until we have acted on it and have reaped its results. So we have this example of John. And sometimes, Thomas, excuse me. We have this example of Thomas. And, and you know, and, and listen, we're not going to belittle Thomas because we don't know that that couldn't have been Ken's name there or Josh's name there or Dakota or Mike or, or Kevin's or anybody else's because you weren't there to see it happen. So you didn't, you know, everybody else telling the story. And I don't know if you've ever been in a room where someone was trying to tell about an experience they had, but do you realize here that their experience with Jesus never affected Thomas to believe, never changed his mind? See, we think, because as believers, because we have a word foundation in our lives, we think that by telling our experiences that people will come to faith and believe in Christ. And it might get them excited a little bit, one way or another, but we have to realize that faith only comes one way, and that's by hearing the Word of God. So if we're not basing our faith off the Word and we're just basing it on what we've seen or what we've seen happen, then what's going to happen is, is that it's not going to generate the faith that they need to be able to believe. 
Always come back to the Word. Always come back to what the Word of God says. So the great example of this, of course, is found when we look at Abraham's faith. Abraham is considered the father of faith. And so I want you to turn to Romans chapter 4 with me. Romans 4. And uh, I want us to look at verses, um, we're going to look at verses 13 through 25, but we're going to jump around, so we're not like going to look at every verse uh, here tonight. Romans chapter 4. When you've got it, say amen. All right, good deal. So let's start with verse 17, if you would. Okay, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations before God whom he believed, talking about Abraham, who raises the dead, calls those things that do not exist as though they did. And against all hope, he believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, talking about Abraham, he did not consider his own body to be dead when he was about a hundred years old, nor yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able to perform. And I love this because it, it really gives us a great picture of how that Abraham, what he was facing. Death is, is speaking. Abraham is speaking. There's a couple of things that are happening here. Uh, Sarah and Abraham both are very old. You know, it's about 25 years before they receive their miracle. So there's a long period here of believing that has to happen with Abraham. Okay? You and I usually give up after two and a half days. Abraham, he believed for 25 years. Now, there was up times and down times for him in that process, just like everybody deals with. So there's no criticism of moments that we have doubts. But he dealt with those doubts. He did not stay there. And that's a, that's a key uh, thing to remember. I love this. Um, in verse 21 of this, in the Weymouth translation, it says this, that he was absolutely certain that whatever promise God had made, he was bound and able to make good on it. He was absolutely certain, and Abraham was, that whatever promise God had bound himself to, See, that's one of the things I think we have to remember about the Scriptures is, is that when God has made a declaration to you and I, that He has bound Himself to that declaration. And it has nothing to do with how great you are. It has everything to do with how great. Dakota talked a little bit about this weekend, or last Thursday, about covenant. Covenant relationship uh, is not just a contract. Covenant relationship is an absolute commitment by two parties. So, you know, in a contract, there's stipulation, right? You do a contract, if you do contract law, you realize that, you know, you can, there are stipulations that are made in a contract. You sign a contract on a lease or, uh, you know, you buy a vehicle on a contract or go to the bank, there's a, you know, now it's like this thick of paperwork that you got to sign in the contract of agreements. If you default, how many days you have to make your payments, blah, blah, blah. God brings himself into a covenant, not just a contract with you and I. The covenant is where God says, all right, all that I am, I bring into the mix. You bring all that you are into the mix, and together we're one. 
You say, well, God, I don't bring a lot into the mix. Well, that's not the way that God looks in. You bring a lot into the mix. You bring your humanity into the mix. You bring your giftedness into the mix. You bring your heart into the mix. You bring into your faith into the mix. You bring a lot into this whole process. God brings the power. God brings the ability. God brings the 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 the, awesome, the revelation. God brings the 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 the, uh, the eternity of Himself into the relationship. He brings all that He is into it. Okay. So when a covenant, God makes a covenant with us, he's not just saying, in the, in the old tribal rules, the way that covenants worked was, you know, two people come together, they talk about the covenant, they make the agreement. Our marriage vows are very similar to this. Now, it's really gone downhill through the years, but in a covenant relationship, there is a declaration. When you make a declaration in your marriage vows, you're supposed to say and mean it, I take you to heaven to hold, to love, and to cherish till death do us part. right? Not I take you to heaven to hold as long as you do everything I ask you to do. I take you to heaven to hold as long as you stay beautiful. I take you to heaven to hold as long as you don't have bad breath. I take you to heaven to hold as long as you pick up your underwear off the floor (laughs) until death do us part. No, see, we... So in that covenant, what's happening is, is that two people are making a, not just a contract, they're making a covenant together. Now, someone can violate that covenant, obviously, and, and we have, uh, surely all of us in one way or capacity, have tried to violate the covenant with our God, but God never walked away from the covenant. He didn't say, well, that's over with, I'm done with you, you're out. So he gives us this great example of, of how, co- how covenant should work in our life. So when, when this would happen in, in, the old, in the old times, when it would happen in tribal rules, they would exchange gifts then. You know, probably the chief would give something to the other chief. He'd give him his spear, which was, you know, the mark of his chieftain, a chieftain and his authority. He would hand that over to the other guy. The other guy might give him a club or something. Who, you know, who knows? But, but they, would, they would exchange gifts. In the wedding, what do we exchange? Gifts. We do the ring thing, right? So, you know, what does the ring remind you of? Wherever I go, I made a covenant. Men that cheat take their rings off. Women that cheat take their rings off. Why? Because they know that if somebody sees that on your finger, that means that you made a covenant with somebody. Now, not everybody adheres to this anymore, but but it means that you belong to somebody else. Now, I realize some of you have lost a ton of weight and you can't wear that ring anymore, and some of you, I don't want to say the other side of it. Okay? But, but the thing is, is that it is a gift that, was, that you made, and it's lost a lot of its symbolism in our, in our society today, but it is a covenant agreement, not a contract agreement that's made at an altar. There are witnesses that saw you do this, Right? Somebody heard you say, and see, when we have a best man and a best, our best woman, bridesmaid, they're supposed to, from that point on, and we often do this in our wedding ceremonies, from that point on, they are to do nothing but encourage you to stick to your covenant. 
So there's no bro code that you can go off and do whatever you want, but your best buddy there, he's going to keep it quiet. No, he's going to tell you, you're in sin. You need to stop that. You need to get faithful. You need to straighten up. You need to quit fooling around. Amen. See, they're the witnesses that heard it. Now, a lot of times our families are involved in that, and they heard us testify about it. So there are witnesses that are involved. So you see how, how in-depth, this is all a model after what God has done with you and I. And then there's shedding of blood. And so, and you know, it used to be that whenever there would be, you know, when uh, in the, uh, the woman's a virgin, you know, then there's going to be blood issues because of the tearing of the hymen. Well, there's a blood issue that happens in our relation covenant with God because what Jesus Christ did is came and shed his blood so that we could have this relationship because there is no covenant without blood. There is none. Your redemption, that's why I will go back to what I said about the overcome by the blood of the Lamb. See, what we have to recognize here is, is that God has shed blood for us. He cut himself to get into this relationship with us. You say, well, do I have to shed blood? No. He shed the blood for the relationship. He made the effort. He, took, he paid a debt he didn't know. We owed a debt we couldn't pay. We needed someone to take away our sins. And now we sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace, all day long because Christ Jesus paid a debt we could never, ever pay. And how did he do it? With his own blood, with his blood. Christ has redeemed us. Everybody say that. Christ has redeemed. Come on, say it again. Christ has redeemed us. Now say it like this. Christ has redeemed me. Okay, so debts are paid, right? It's done. Christ redeemed you. He shed his blood for this relationship that you have. He has made a covenant relationship with you. That covenant is based off of the B-I-B-L-E, off the promises that he has made to us. See, Abraham knew that he was in a covenant with God. You look at through the story of Abraham, whenever God came and told him, what was the first thing that Abraham did? He killed an animal and put it on the altar and made a sacrifice because there was a shedding of blood that took place in that covenant relationship that he had with God. The good news is, is that in the old covenant, man shed the blood. And the great news is in the new covenant, God shed the blood. That's why your Bible is called Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant. Paul said the Old Covenant was good, but it wasn't good enough. The Old Covenant was nothing but a schoolmaster to help us get along and to figure out, you know, about, about you know, some of the attributes of God. But the New Covenant, established in His blood, has redeemed us completely. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And that blood is still speaking even all these years later after Christ shed it. There's still a declaration because of the blood. Amen. I may not be perfect, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ, my sins have been washed away. Oh, the blood of Jesus that washes white as snow. You know, when I take communion in the mornings with the Lord, I remind myself about that blood covenant, Mike. I, 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 I speak that covenant over my life. God, thank you. You shed your blood. I couldn't pay that debt. I couldn't, I couldn't, I tried to be a better me and I couldn't. I tried to be a new me and couldn't do it. I tried to self-help and that didn't work either. 
And I'm telling you, Lord, I am so grateful this morning that I can drink from this cup in remembrance of what you did for me, that you shed your blood for my filthy old hide that was totally inebriated, drug addicted, and just doing as fast as I could to kill my own self and to put myself in hell. And yet, Lord God, by your great grace, this blood today still declares that I am I am yours and you are mine, Lord God. And I just thank you for it. And then I take that cup and I take a swig out of it. And after I drink out of that cup and I say, God, and I just stand on the promise that not only am I saved, but this covenant you made with me now affects my whole household. Not only am I saved, but I thank you, God, that my wife is saved. I thank you, Lord God, that my kids, Greg, Angeline, Carrie, and Shannon, they're all born again, blood-bought, living for you, giving their hearts and life. I thank you for Shayla, Mason, and Torrance, and for Verona. And I thank you for Marley, Ellie, and Zane and God, and I thank you that every last one of them are blood bought by you, Lord Jesus, and they're part of my household. And so, Lord, I declare the covenant that I have with you through this blood right here. Look, man, by the time I'm done drinking, there might as well have been wine in there because I got happy. I'm telling you, I was happy by the time it was done because I remember the covenant that I have with God. Faith in that covenant, faith in believing and standing. See, Abraham believed God. We're going to wrap up with this. This is out of the Message Bible. When everything was hopeless, this is verse 18. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. And so he was made the father of a multitude of peoples. God himself said to him, you're going to have a big family, Abraham. Abraham didn't focus on his own impotence and say, it's hopeless, This hundred-year-old body could never father a child, nor did he survey Sarah's decades of infertility and give up. He didn't tiptoe around God's promise, asking cautiously skeptical questions. He plunged into the promise and came up strong, ready for God. Mm, I'm coming up strong, ready for God. How about you? Come on, I'm plunging in deep. I'm going in. I'm saying, yes. To all of it, Lord God. Yes to all that you've declared. Yes to your salvation. Yes to your healing. Yes to your deliverance. Yes, Lord God, to the work of your spirit. Yes, Lord, to all you are and all that you have. I'm saying yes, and I'm plunging in deep, and I'm coming up ready for God. Coming up ready for God. The Lord spoke this to me. It's such a powerful statement. He said, you cannot count on your environment to sustain your revelation. You cannot count on your environment. You know, tonight you might come out of here energized because you heard the preaching of the word, but you can't count on your environment to sustain that. You can't count on your body to sustain the revelation of healing. You can't count on your finances to sustain the revelation that you have. The only place that you will ever find the, the sustenance that you need is through the bread of life, and that is through the word of God. To go back to the promises, the exceeding, as Peter said, the exceeding great and precious promises that by these we might be partakers of his divine nature. Glory to God. Stand up with me if you would tonight. Amen. You guys have been really awesome students tonight. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. We just thank you. Could I just get you just for a moment to lift your hands if you would? And uh, just to just as a moment of surrender to the Lord and to his word in your life and and uh, maybe that's something you've never done before, and that's okay. We're not judging anybody that doesn't. Just I'm off, just asking if you would uh, consider this. Lord, we lift our hands to you.
Lord God, and we thank you, Lord. We, we are ready to plunge in. We're ready to plunge in, Lord God. And Lord, I know sometimes we've plunged in a little bit and got back out real quick, and we didn't like the water, we didn't like the temperature, we didn't like the, the environment, Lord God. But Lord, we're plunging in and we're coming up, Lord God, ready. I'm ready, Lord God. I thank you, God, that in the atmosphere of expectancy, that is the breeding ground for miracles. That, God, miracles will be happening in so many... I've heard so many powerful miracles that are happening in people's lives. And it's not because there's just like a better anointing or a more powerful spirit or, you know, some magic words that we've learned to say. Lord, they're just because their faith is activated because they're looking at the Word and going, I've looked at this for years and years as a Christian I never saw. That this is what God is saying. And God, in, a, in an instant, acceleration that has happened in their lives. Diseases that have bound them for 12 years, Lord God. And, more, and just instantaneously, reversal begins to happen, Lord God. Father, I thank you, Lord God. We plunge in. We're fully in, Lord God. We're fully committed. We're ready, Lord God, to receive. We come up ready, Lord, for all that you are and all that you have declared in your word. And I thank you for that, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Lord God. Mm. Thank you, Father God. We love you, Jesus. You can go ahead and put your hands down. Just keep your head bowed with me for a moment. Look, I, you know, the struggle is real, so I get that. And uh, we want to pray for you tonight if, you, you, you know, if you're in a battle. We're going to...